Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I feel a little rusty. It's been a little while since I've recorded an episode. I've just come back from vacation and just kind of like catching up with all the things, all my gigs, some vanilla work, and some really cool episodes that are going to be coming out, including this one and other ones that I'm working on. So it's going to be a really, really cool next few episodes. I'm really excited to kind of get into the topic today, which is going to be speaking about eating disorders, specifically in regards to anorexia. So again, if you missed the trigger warning in the very beginning of the episode, this is your time to opt out now as we will be mentioning anorexia, various eating disorders, body dysmorphia, all that nasty kind of stuff. So I just want to throw that out there. If you are uncomfortable with this, if this is a trigger for you, feel free to skip this episode because it might not uh, emit nice feelings and I don't want anyone feeling this is an unsafe space. So that is that. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on the stripping stage. I am based in Vancouver, Canada, and I do this podcast. I am the host, I'm the producer, I'm the editor, I am everything, I'm a one woman show. I bring on different guests every single week that I source out and personally invite onto the show to speak about all things sex work and all things sex work related. So today I am very excited to bring on Belle Beckwith, who's joining us, I think, today from New York City as she bounces back from both coasts, from West Coast, East Coast, and really interesting story here. So I connected with Belle really recently when I tweeted something about privilege and we were speaking about privilege. What does privilege look like, which will be a later episode, hopefully the one after this. And we are speaking about like why privilege was what what does that seen as? What do you consider as? And somebody made a comment that um, body shape and body size can be seen as privilege and I used the word thin privilege which then struck a chord with Belle here and we got into conversation she explained to me that there are a lot of invisible disorders a lot of invisible diseases out there that that come with being thin and as you know being thin is not always being seen as healthy that is a very very common misconception as you may know society uh, deems that small bodies are the body, the preferred body type, the ideal body type. And we're going to speak a little bit about the flip side of that. So, Belle, I know that you are waiting there patiently. Are, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Hi. It is so nice and lovely to meet you finally. I mean, it's been a hey. few. Yeah, it's been a few couple days that we've been chatting and connecting and then I was just like completely blown away by your response and also just it just came from like a lack of understanding and education. So thank you so much for correcting me and sharing your own personal experience so much so that I thought it deserved its own episode as we have done an episode on, you know, fat phobia. So why can't yeah. we? Yeah, like why can't we do an episode on this as well? So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I am thrilled to have you on the show. Hello. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. So excited. So a little bit about Belle. She's an incredible human being and I am going to take a stab at (laughs) what I think I know about you and like your amazing biography. So (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and um, feel free to stop me at any point. But you're bi-coastal, as I said. You were born in San Francisco. You are based in New York City and bounce from coast to coast you're also biracial you're a former sugar baby as am i um you're also a pole dancer as am i as well which is really cool (laughs) um you're also a tantra practitioner and community organizer and anti-racist activist you have worked on culture and language rights amongst indigenous people in the south pacific you have a bachelor and a master's in visual arts and you are working as a professional it as a visual artist and a fashion stylist so and also obviously because you're like well where's where does the sex work part come in besides the sugar baby part you also are celebrating your one year anniversary on your escorting brand (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, one year anniversary of being an escort. It's amazing. amazing. I can't believe it's been a year. Yeah, and what a year. Oh my goodness. Huge congratulations to you. So Thank exciting. You. <laughs> I know it's like a huge bio and I'm sure I probably missed a couple things along the way, but I'm not sure if you want to give yourself a little intro too in terms of like who you are and, and what it is that you do in terms of sex work. Yeah, of course. Um, so basically I'm a creative, um, I'm a creative, a tastemaker, a visual artist, a storyteller. Um, I've been working in arts and culture for about 15 years doing, um, various different things in, in those industries. Uh, and for me, becoming an escort was really a natural outgrowth of that. I'm, I got fascinated with the culture of human sexuality. Um, mm. I found, um, you know, the deeper I got into the Tantra, it actually began to influence my painting, my photography, my self-expression. Mm. Um, and I found that I was really in love with and became enthralled with the erotic artistry of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then being a stylist and a tastemaker, um, I like to pick out a good hotel. You know, I like to pick <laughs> out a good hotel. I like to have an amazing meal. I mean, I just, for me, my sexuality is a lot about context mm -hmm. and kind of creating this like just fascinating environment. And it all just kind of came together in escorting. Wow. Um, I got into escorting like, so, like, I'm not going to lie, I did get into, like, survival sex work. Okay, <laughs> like, yeah. That's where, that's where it came from. It was, like, pandemic. My yes. fashion style, yeah, like, my fashion style business collapsed. I, like, went out with, a, you know, all of retail just shut down. I went yes. out with a friend. I had, like, no money. And she was like, oh, I'll get your coffee. I've got, like, nine grand sitting in my Venmo. And I was like... What? what? <laughs> you know? So she kind of like brought me in, but what I like to say is that I stayed because it's such an incredible career and profession and mm. just brings together so many of the things that I love. Yeah. Um, and I got to feel really self-expressed as an artist, as a person who's a creative and a tastemaker and an artist. So it's been, it's been just an amazing journey. Yeah, and I'm sure you've learned a lot along the way, too. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned as well that you were also a former sugar baby. Me, too. So, like, do you want to start there and, and then kind of go into, like, your experience with escorting and, like, how it's been uh, starting uh, your escorting brand during the pandemic? Like, Oof. how does yeah. that all feel? <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm, like, addicted to doing hard things. Like, I don't know why. I would, like, <laughs> why would I do this to myself? I don't know. But I did. So here we are. Um, so, yeah, so I was a sugar baby kind of, I don't want to age myself too much, but, like, kind of before, like, the whole website, like, seeking arrangements sugar baby thing. Oh, yeah. Long. Okay, yeah. So, like, back in my, like, ancient day, it was just... It was, it was just a way of dating that felt really good and was yeah. mutually beneficial. And because I was like a scrubby little art kid, like <laughs> I met <laughs> like really great guys who were like, here, hon, like you need some rent or like, you know, do you need a little walking around money? Mm -hmm. And it was just these very natural arrangements that developed um, mm -hmm. that always felt good to both parties. Um, when I kind of dipped back into the sugar baby world in Los Angeles, um, I'm here because my art studio is here. So I go back and forth between here and New York. Right. So when I started dipping in in Los Angeles, I just like was really freaked out by how, um, I don't want to like, I want to be really careful because I don't want to like put it down because I no, feel like totally. there are people who are doing well but it, it was very harsh it was a it was a harsh mm -hmm. environment right it was like this very aggressive transactional environment I, I kept meeting people who said that they wanted the kinds of arrangements that I had been used to in my 20s mm -hmm. um but it never really turned into that it was always like ppm and then mm. a couple of escorts came along and they were like, they were like, uh-uh. <laughs> like they were just like, <laughs> like they like regulated. They were like, 
no, honey, like basically what you're doing is escort light. Yeah. Yeah. I I was like, oh my God, it's escort light. It's like, I'm, I'm I'm being treated like an escort, which is amazing. Yeah. That's a different, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think because, and this, this will get into like some stuff we're going to talk about later with anorexia, but like, sure. Anorexia thrives in secrecy. Mm -hmm. And so a a lot of my healing and a lot of my, like, like ethics and values are around honesty. And Mm -hmm. it felt really dishonest to me to be an escort, but not call myself an escort. Right. Yeah. Right. So, because I wasn't a sugar baby, not, not like what a real sugar baby is. Mm -hmm. So, um, it became really important to me as a value system to come out as an escort and have an official brand. I did that. Um, there were definitely like some repercussions. Like I've kind of learned, like I don't need to like scream it from the rooftops and tell my entire family. You yeah. Know? Like that like was maybe kind of a mistake, but like, you know, we like we learn. I was just going to um, say, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like my, my escort venture was like, like all these like old religious like friends from like back in the day like resurfaced and tried to save me. Oh my god! My... <laughs> and my escort mentor was like, um, "Like I think it's time that you have a fake name." And I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, got it." Like, yeah, that's why people do that, right? So it's been I call it. It's like the is it like oh I can't remember what the book is like Charles Dickens or One Piece or something. It's like <laughs> it was the best of times. Oh well, yeah, two cities. It right. was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's been year one. Mm. That's been year one. Like, yeah. there have been, like, amazing moments, right? Like, getting flown to Colorado to go on a ski trip and, like, having men just pop out of nowhere and, like, throw gifts at me and, like, beautiful shoes, beautiful clothes. And then there's yeah. been, like, humiliation and you know, someone smacked me in the face and put his hands around my neck and, like, oh my lied to me about being uncut. Like, there have been some real ugly moments. For sure. And, um, you know, I think the turning point was I had to get... All I know is year one. Uh, so I don't know if anybody else is going through this, but, like, what happened for me is I had to get real clear. Like, mm-hmm. and I just started saying to myself every morning do I choose this? Do I still choose this? Because I don't right. have to. No. Right? No. Like, I, I am well-educated, like, I, and I do have privilege in that way. Like, mm-hmm. I was raised in an upper-middle-class family. There's a lot of privilege that comes along with that, and I, and I recognize that. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do it. So do I choose it? And that act of, like, waking up every morning and choosing it has clarified so much for me because, I mean, I really feel I've grown as a human. I've had to develop better boundaries. Right. I've had to develop a hardcore screening system. I've had to right. repeatedly say, you know what? Like, that amount of money, even if I've got 20 bucks in my account, is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And I, I will not take that money because it's going to compromise me. And, you know, one of the things that early on, some of, like, the amazing um, people who, who supported me mm-hmm. to um, enter this industry said, like, you can either have a great experience or not so great experience. Right. And there's, like, and, like, that's up to you. And, you know, things like screening, things like trusting my gut, things like um, being willing to turn down the money you know, getting really clear on my financing, like mm-hmm. that's a huge part of this year is like being very clear on my money. Yeah. Um, and then like the fun part of like, because I am, you know, a storyteller and a creative, like building the brand has been so fun for me, like awesome. so fun. So yeah. <laughs> it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's incredible. And like, it's not easy, especially during the pandemic and especially being in the States during the pandemic as well. Like, I mean, I'm based in Canada and it was bad here, but I mean, seeing things in the news, it, it might, like how I understand it, it was a lot worse in the States. So 
So I got stuck in LA and we went into severe lockdown. Um, All of the like really ugly rioting that happened. Yeah. Not the protests. I want to distinguish. There were protests and there was rioting. It happened two blocks away from where I live. Oh my gosh. Like I saw flames from my apartment. (gasps) Like, it was, it was terrifying. crazy. Yeah. Like, um, I, uh, a department store that I used to work in when I was a fashion stylist was, like, destroyed. Like, oh, my goodness. These are colleagues that I used to work with. And then the um, the, the military came in. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like, I had never seen anything like it. And yeah. that went on for, for months. I mean, it, it was... I just, I can't believe I lived through it. It it was crazy. That is so terrifying. That's a whole nother topic too, which (laughs) (laughs) we we won't discuss today, but (laughs) we'll continue with the focus being on you today. So can you, can you kind of brief the audience um, as we go into the topic of anorexia first, defining um, what it is and, and your history with anorexia yeah yeah we'll go into if you want we'll go into that deep end now if you wanted to yeah yeah um so i define anorexia as a disease of control it is uh, it is the need um to have control and when you don't have it you turn to control something that you know that you can control. Mm. Um, I also want to like note that I know when I talk about it, I frequently, I frequently change from the I pronoun to the you pronoun. It's a mm-hmm. distancing technique. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, I know that I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so it like, and actually it is a little bit of a segue with what happened in my neighborhood because it, I, I was, everything around me was out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not become, I did not become an anorexic because of the pandemic. I've been um, dealing with this since childhood, mm-hmm. but it certainly made it flare up this year in a really serious way. Right. So I believe that I am second generation anorexic. Um, I believe that my mother is anorexic. Oh my um, gosh. She... So I was, I was raised in this, like, upper middle class family where, like, it was important to be smart, beautiful, and thin. Mm. And in fact, it was, I, I would say it was more important to be thin than to be rich, you know? Like, oh. like being thin was a core value. And um, thin was beautiful. Thin was um, tasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then was, uh, you know, it was elite. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there, like, I think that can be an attitude that can be, you know, maybe like wrong and uncool, but like healthy, but like she took mm-hmm. it to unhealthy. And so oh my God. I grew up with comments like, don't eat that you'll be as big as a house oh um like she didn't really keep food in the house um we would go at times without eating um there there like she wouldn't allow anyone to like tell us we were beautiful like I have this really vivid memory of being a little girl and someone being like oh my god she's gonna be a stunner when she grows up and like my mother being like no like, what? do not talk about my daughter that way. Like, oh, wow. it was very, very uh, strange. Yeah. So I'm I, sorry. Yeah. So I developed a lot of issues with my body. Um, for me, it started with cutting. Mm. So I, I was a cutter. Okay. Um, I don't, this could be really triggering, so, like, I don't want to get into it too, too much, but, like, I do have some, some unattractive scarring, or to my eye, unattractive scarring, which Mm -hmm. I think has impacted, like, my sense of my body, and because it happened when I was so young, I started cutting when I was, like, 12, 13, something like that, maybe 11. Oh, wow, my goodness. 
Yeah, and it's it's continued. It kind of tapered off in my twenties, and then unfortunately, it came back with the pandemic. Right. Um, but that has always really given me a lot of insecurity around mm-hmm. like being beautiful. Like, right on the surface, like people are like, "Oh my God, you're so beautiful!" But I'm like, "Well, if you knew what was underneath my clothes, <laughs> mm. like." Like, yeah. you wouldn't think that, you know? Oh, my um, And then, like, my sister developed this horrible, horrible bulimia. And, like, we oh would listen God. to her. Like, we would be, like, at the table eating dinner, and, like, she would be throwing up, literally, like, in the room next door. Oh, my and, God. And, like, my parents would do nothing. Like, it was just, like, like, we just put, like, it's a disease of secrecy. Yeah. So nobody said anything. Nobody talked about it. Right. My sister got so bad that she um, was hospitalized mm. a, a couple of times, and we would go and visit her in these hospitals. And like, I, I just I have these memories of seeing people who were like eighty pounds, ninety pounds, a hundred pounds. Like, it made such impression on me that mm-hmm. I decided, like, I. I I just, like, decided, like, no one can ever know. Right, like, yeah. No, no one can ever know. I don't want to be in this place. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, like that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to almost to the level of, like, I won't, even, I won't even acknowledge to myself that I have a problem. Wow. So I went most of my life pretending that I didn't have a problem. Yeah, and okay. Um, and that has, that has had some really interesting, like, repercussions. Like, mm-hmm. you said earlier, pole dancer, like, I, I was a pole dancer, but mm-hmm. I never actually worked in a club. Because when I went into the club, <laughs> like, when I went in to apply, like, a couple of different people were like, well, I don't know. And in my head, I was like, they think I'm ugly. I'm completely unqualified to get on stage. So uh, there's just no way I can do this. Um, I did the same thing with modeling. Like I was recruited to model for Urban Outfitters. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, no. I mean, who says no to Urban Outfitters? Like, I I don't know. So, you know, this all came about because you and I were like talking on Twitter and someone talked about thin privilege. And I was like, Mm -hmm. but you know, it doesn't always work the way people think it works. Like, right. like, okay. Like, like, I guess the assumption would be like, you make more money because you're thin or, or you, you know, you get hired more because you're thin and beautiful. Like on a certain level, that's entirely true. Absolutely. You know? like, yeah. Like, there, I, there's like, a privilege to that. Yeah. For that absolutely. aspect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I have received that privilege. I have been hired because I'm beautiful for sure. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I've turned down or walked away from a lot of opportunities because I was so terrified to have people talk about my body or mm. to have to, you know, be told to lose weight or gain weight or like it was, right. it's like I was holding on so tight to like, no one can know that there, I, I had this sense that like, if I open myself up to like being a model or being on stage or being, you know, what have you, mm-hmm. that I would just completely fall apart. And totally. to be honest, when I became an escort, it happened. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I was right. I completely fell apart. Like, and in some ways, I'm, like, I'm one of those people, like, I always am trying to look for the beauty in the ashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what, what's the, what is the, what's the healing that comes, like, not every breakdown is a breakdown. Sometimes a breakdown is a breakthrough. Yeah. And I think in, mm-hmm. in some ways, um, becoming an escort has meant facing stuff, like, that I never wanted to face um yeah can you give some examples of that yeah I mean so um like I mean I wound up in the hospital this year um due to your anorexia 
Well, I, in addition to anorexia, I started throwing up and oh, that was goodness. new. Yeah. And, um, I started cutting again. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, it was, thank you. Um, so throwing up was devastating. It's, um, it feels really different to just not eating. <laughs> yeah. You know, completely different. And, um, I just, that in addition to some other things that were going on, I was just like desperate and mm-hmm. my therapist like put me in a mental hospital and I was in this hospital for five days. Um, and when I like, I had like cut my leg, like I hadn't been eating, I'd been on and off. So I got put in this hospital um, and I did something that I've never done before. I like social media. Can I swear on this? Oh, absolutely. Is that okay. Oh yeah. For fucking <laughs> <I> sure. <social laughs> media the fuck out of it. Like oh. I just went for it. Like I was like, I am cutting. I am like, I'm going to a mental hospital. Like this is how I feel. And I just like posted, posted, posted. And I have never in my life done that. And it was like breaking the silence. Yeah. Like, probably in a way that was like insane and out of control. But like. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, like, I had to say. And, you know, the support after and like the love and like the healing that's come with talking about it has been like really, really profound. So mm-hmm. how did it impact my business? Well, when I was in the hospital, I mean, they had no treatment plan for someone with an eating disorder. They were just like a they were just like a basic mental hospital. Like, you're here, you're struggling, you you gotta just chill here until you stop struggling. Right. And like I wasn't eating my meals because I was like I because I was starving myself. And, like, the woman in the bed next to me was like, do you ever want to get out of here? And I was like, yeah. She was like, they're watching your food. So if you want to get out of here, like, you need to eat. Yeah. And it was, like, so horrific because I I was, like, trying to force myself to eat. But my body was like, "Uh uh-oh, we're not doing this. Everything's out of control. We got to be in control. We're going to be in control by not eating, you know, yeah. and like talk to my body, like, okay, girlfriend, like, can you just do this for me just this once so we can yeah. go home, Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, it was, it was weird, like, I was, like, trying to get the other inmates, aka patients, to, like, <laughs> take some of my food, you know, I'm oh like, my gosh. I'm like, could you eat this, and they're like, like, some of the guys at first were like, yeah, and then they were like, wait, <laughs> like, no, <laughs> like, we're not going to drop, like, it was craziness. I finally got out, and, like, it just, I, I, I don't, it just was, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough, and it's been tough, and I stopped working, so mm-hmm. there were three or four months where I didn't, I didn't take any inpatient or inpatient in-person appointments mm-hmm. where like completely ran out of my savings. Um, and I wouldn't have made it except for like a couple of like these amazing, like only fan subscribers who had like caught me posting on social media, like a crazy person. And they would like check up on me and I'd like take a picture of my tits and like send it to them. And they would be like, that's so good, honey. Wow. Here's two hundred bucks. Like it that's was amazing. so beautiful. So beautiful. That's incredible. So loving. Yeah. 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 Just amazing. Wow. This so, is, this is yeah. incredible. I have so many, I have so many questions and then so many observations. So we're going to backtrack just a little bit because <laughs> I, I mean, I wanted cool. to let you talk and want to let you speak because like your story is really, really riveting, but I wanted to ask, obviously there was a lot of, um, as you mentioned, secrecy, like a lot of denial that you had been suffering from an eating disorder. Um, how did you deal with that stigma? And like where, I mean, with, with your anorexia, and you mentioned like part of it is, I mean, propelled by your mother as well, who you yeah. suspect would have might have been anorexic as well like 
where did all these pressures start coming from? Was it mainly from your family in the beginning? Or is it just the pressures of society or your geographic region? Like, I'm just curious. Yeah, those are great questions. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely from my family in the beginning. And mm-hmm. then um, when I, like, as I got more into fashion, so like I've always worked in arts and culture mm-hmm. as an education. I was doing a lot of work with like the indigenous and multicultural work. And like, there's a right. lot of love and celebration in those communities. Right. And then I was like slow. I've always been interested in thought. Like I was moving kind of into fashion and I was back and forth from New York and LA. New York, there's always a pressure to be thin. Yes. But LA is next level. Oh, yeah. And so I'm in LA, I'm working in fashion, and like it, yeah, I mean, it just started getting worse and worse and worse. Like the pressure to be beautiful in LA is like nothing I've experienced anywhere else in the world. Yeah, it's like tenfold. Um, it's it's pressure to be beautiful on steroids. Like mm-hmm. you walk out of the house and you're like surrounded by celebrity culture. And like the thing I love about LA is that it's a town of creatives, right? So mm-hmm. everybody here is an artist. Like like, and you know people on TV are also just like regular regular ass people. You know, yeah. Like, my best friend's <laughs> an actor. He was just on a really recognizable show. Like, he's just my best friend. You know? Yeah. Like, it's chill. But even, like, for him, for example, he's, like, a cis, white, hetero male. Mm-hmm. He eats only a six-hour window every day. Mm. And that's, that is normal in Los Angeles. Completely normal. It's like right. a town of people with disordered eating. And oh, gosh. when it's when it's all around you all the time, when people are like, yeah, I took my, like, I had a friend who, like, clearly also has some eating disorder issues. Like, she was like, so I'm going to do my intermittent fasting schedule, um, but instead of, like, the eight hours they recommend, I'm going to do three. And I'm looking at her and being like, I don't think you can live on, I I don't think that's possible. No, no. And... My inner anorexic is, like, listening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, got it. That's how I do this. Like, taking notes. Like, like, okay, like, this is okay. This is normal. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I kind of started convincing myself, and I'm I'm still having a hard time working through this in my head, Mm -hmm. so I haven't really reached any conclusions, but, like, (laughs) like, even though I pretty much want to move back to New York full time, mm-hmm. like my inner anorexic is like, you will get fat in New York. Think about really? all those meals. Think about all that alcohol. Mm-hmm. Think about all those creamy desserts. Like New York's a food town. Yeah. And, like it's a rich food town, you know? And sure you walk it off and you're on the subway, but like in LA, it's like my inner anorexic like thrives here because mm-hmm. everyone's body obsessed. Like, totally. It's perfectly normal to go to the gym for three hours. It's perfectly normal, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That's wild. That is so wild. Sorry, another question I had for you too because these are just coming up. Um, go, sorry, going back to your, your mother again. Was that like maybe there was like a cultural aspect to that as well? do you think or it was just your mom being your mom no I definitely so I am biracial Mm -hmm. um I was raised with my white mother and my white stepfather but Mm -hmm. my father is African-American and we are slave descended so um we go back to like the 1700s in Virginia like we walked off the plantations bought land like also like black upper middle class family um, but I was raised in a primarily, I would say, white environment. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a part of whiteness, for sure. Yeah, um, totally. You know, I want to be a little careful because my sister is full, fully white, and she mm-hmm. um, suffered horribly from this. Yeah. And 
you know, so it's, it's, I don't think my mother was picking on me only, but I will tell you that growing up, I wanted to look white. I, I wanted, mm. and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty white passing. Like, yeah. And that is another privilege for sure. But like, yeah. I'm like what they call high yellow. Like I am. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, you look at me and you're like, oh, is she black? You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, uh, I, I, I'm, but at the same time, like I wasn't, I wasn't white enough ever. I was never white enough. And like my hair never did what the other girl's hair did. Yeah. As like, girl, I will stare at photos of Beyonce and try to like retrain myself till the cows come home. I'm like, Beyonce's beautiful. Beyonce's beautiful. But I want to look like Kate Moss. I do. Mm -hmm. I want to look like a skinny ass white girl. That's what I want to look like. Yeah. Any moment that my body cannot get itself there, which it can't because I have hips Mm-hmm. And I got booty. Yeah. And I got curves. It is what it is. Like, I, like, I can't get my body to look like a skinny white girl who just did some heroin. Like, I can't. Mm-hmm. And so I live in this, like, profound, almost, like, disappointment. Right. You know, putting my, um, putting my OnlyFans up, you know, getting photos taken for my escort brand, like, mm-hmm. the thing about a photo shoot is that you get 10 to 20 good shots. Yep. But you have to go through 500. Yeah. And I'm going through 500 pictures where I look bad because mm-hmm. yep. everybody looks bad in those 500 pictures. Absolutely. Which is funny. Don't lose them. Yeah. It is what it is. Like, this is simply the process. But for me, with my body dysmorphia, I'm going through those photos and I'm like, see, you're fat. See, you're fat. See, you're ugly. It's like, who told you you could do this? Who right. told you you could be an escort? Like, it is a constant battle in my head to say, no, you're beautiful. No, your body yeah. looks good. Sometimes I win the battle. Sometimes I lose the battle. Yeah, but it's, a, it's really a struggle. It seriously it is. is. And like, I was wondering, like, during your bouts of anorexia, did you ever have any support at all or any people that may have been concerned for you or was or were you just really talented at hiding it? I I think it start like when I started when I stopped working for institutions and started working like running my own businesses Mm -hmm. and like having clients and stuff Mm -hmm. like people started saying things like I had this so like when I was a fashion stylist I had a really really high paying client Mm -hmm. female CEO she would like come in and dump like I, like, I don't know, like a hundred grand in clothes, you know? And then like the store would be like, great job, Belle, here's free stuff, you know? Like, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like loved it, right? But I would like show up and like I wouldn't have eaten. Mm. And I would be like standing trying to do my job. And she would like look at me and be like, are you okay? Yeah. And I would be like, yeah, yeah, I'm cool. And she's like, do you think you need to eat something? And I'm like, nah, no, I'm good. She's like, why don't you have a granola bar? Yeah. And over time, like, I remember it kind of being like, I was like, oh, I'm kind of going up here actually, because like, I can't really be of service if I'm unsteady on my feet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So when you're working at a J-O-B with like, like a lot of like if I'm working in a retail store or I'm working in a school or I'm working with a community like or like at a museum or a gallery all places where I've worked people don't notice you there's a lot going on there's a lot going on yeah there's just a lot going on but like once I started getting into that like one-on-one kind of work I call it like like I consider it like I've been working in luxury personal services for four or five years. Like I love you know, that. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's really clever. <laughs> yeah, <you borrow> it. <laughs> totally borrow it. Um, 
like people started saying stuff, you know, and like my client, like now, like my male clients will be like, like, yeah, like I ate 600 calories and they're like, no, don't do that. Yeah. Like, don't like you, you have to eat more than 600 calories. Like that's not enough food, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. But, like, I mean, with a lot of comments and stuff coming from people, whether they're good or bad, whether they're looking to, you know, bring awareness to, like, hey, like, maybe there's something bigger here that you need to be aware of. Like, can you can you guide us through the emotional aspect of monitoring and kind of, like, just navigating with an eating yeah. disorder? Yeah. And when people notice it I feel like failure mm. because I haven't hidden it well enough right they know something's wrong mm-hmm. I'm not normal I am failing at life in some way I you know I can't figure out how to do life well that's like and then that is all shame and then yeah once you feel shame, it's like, I'll go home feeling shame. And then I don't want to feel the shame. So I won't eat. And then at like 10 o'clock at night, I can't take it anymore. So I'll order something, usually something unhealthy. Yeah. And then day I'm like, I can't believe I ate pizza. Why did I do that to myself? Mm-hmm. Glutinous poison. Cheese will kill me. And then I won't eat for like two days, and and then it repeats itself. Yeah. And then it repeats itself. It's and like a cycle. When I brought it up in traditional mental health settings, and I I receive state health um, insurance, so I, I'm seen at community mental health centers. Mm-hmm. They are amazing. I don't ever like. I don't ever want anyone to think that these these community mental health centers are not but for whatever reason it seems like to deal with anorexia you have to have a lot of money like anyone i anyone i know who has gone to do something about their eating uh their disordered eating like they it's so fucked up. It's just, it like makes it worse almost. Like I had a friend who went in for disordered eating and her health insurance, she had private health insurance. It it was a premium price to be there. And they discharged her early against her will because they were like, well, to qualify as anorexic, you would only be eating this many calories a day. And you're reporting you're eating this many calories a day. And it's like, what? Well, yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's like eating more count. Like it's really, really warped. So wow, yeah, I, I had no idea. Tried... Oh, it's a hot mess. So I like I've tried to talk to therapists about it, mm-hmm. and I frequently have just gotten a very kind of dismissive message, like, "Well, okay, like you gain weight." Like one of my one of my counselors was like, well, you could just be a plus size model. Like that was her response. What? And I, I literally went home and I was like, oh my well, gosh. what size is a plus size model? So I look it up and it's like 12 to 14. So I freaked the fuck out. Yeah. Like my anorexic is like to, to, to my anorexic. And, and I don't want to be fat phobic at all. This no, is disordered no. thinking. Yeah. This is unhealthy disordered thinking in my head. I'm like, I would rather die. Mm-hmm. I would rather die. Literally, I think to be fat is to die. Like, right? what's the purpose? Yeah, that's the end of your world. The end of my world. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. And I can't believe your therapist said that. That sounds so insensitive. I, I, I feel like... And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like a victim, like, oh, poor, like, poor little, poor little pretty rich girl. Like, no, no. Like, I don't want to be that girl, but, like, there, there is a bit of an attitude when you are attractive that, like, you, you've got privilege, suck it up. 
you know? Right. Yeah. Or I've experienced people because it's such, such like an invisible disease. Like mm-hmm. I've experienced people who kind of want to like knock me off my pedestal, so to say. Like, mm. well, let's you know, like I actually had a city boyfriend that I was dating for a while, and he was a really good guy, but yeah. he he would occasionally have this attitude like somebody needs to check you, princess, you know? And wow. I'm like, dude, dude, I am over here, like, not eating and, like, cutting open my leg. Like, please don't say that to me. Yeah. Like, I'm, I am just trying to keep it together. Yeah. Like, everybody else on this planet, and I know it doesn't look like it on the outside because for whatever reason, I was taught you wake up, you put your makeup on, you put a smile on your face, you dress well, and you don't let anyone know what's going on inside. Right. You know? That's right. why I was raised. Yeah. Stiff upper lip, my mother used to call it. You have to have mm. a stiff upper lip. And, you know, sometimes it does make you feel better. Truth <laughs> 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 like, be told, like, hand put on a dress, and you're like, damn, I feel so much. No, I hear you. But there's like, I mean, uh, alluding to what you were saying earlier, like there are different degrees of privilege, but we're going to go have an entire episode on that next time because there are certain, there's so many varying degrees of, of privilege present here. And like what I really like about your story, um, I mean, I don't like obviously hearing. No, yeah, like I, I don't like hearing about like disordered eating and your battle with anorexia and your your battle with bulimia as well but like it kind of draws a parallel between eating disorders and and sex work because i'm just seeing so many different themes here i'm seeing there's a lot of stigma that comes with it because it's invisible there's a lot of shame and denial that comes in well and then like there's 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 so many parallels here that are present and that's another reason why I want to bring you on too, just to to speak to it and to share your experience and story. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also like, just like literally, like especially if somebody's paying a luxury price, mm-hmm. I feel like oh my god, I have to be really beautiful if this guy's spending this much money, right? right like a justification. So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm definitely working on that just around my own like self-worth. Like mm-hmm. no, like your your essence, your 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 inner radiance, like your spirit. Like that is what is a beautiful thing for the individual who wants to date, you know, do mutually beneficial dating. Right. Um, but you know, <laughs> like <laughs> Like, you know, when a guy's, like, flying in somewhere and, like, paying for a dress and, like, doing all this stuff, it's, like, I'm kind of, like, I go into this place of, like, oh, my God, I got to be beautiful. I got to be, like, I got to get it together. You know, that moment when you're with your date and you want to, you know, take your clothes off and do the big reveal. Mm -hmm. I, I have never in my life not had an inner, like, oh shit, like, like moment before I take my clothes off. Like they're like, I'm always monitoring his face. Like, is he going to see the scars on my leg? Like, Mm. is he going to be disappointed because I don't look like my pictures? Like, have I gained weight? Like, is that like, there's just always this little voice going on in your head, little voice. And it Mm. takes me out of my own pleasure. It takes me out of my body sexuality as a as a tantra practitioner I and mean, sexuality is about being embodied in your senses like sensual like I mean there's almost like a like an earthy like voluptuousness to it it's mm-hmm. so amazing and pleasurable and then to have these thoughts these this disordered thinking like rip me out of that experience like it sucks <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you you know I have never had anyone express displeasure. I mean, for the most part, I would say my battle is like me and me 
or me and other women. It's mm. rarely me and men. So I actually, yeah. you know, cis, cis, hetero men. Mm-hmm. I have... I have actually found a, lot, a ton of acceptance with men um, that has felt really good and really healing for good. the most part. There's, yeah. there's the odd guy that says something horrible. Um, you know, uh-huh. Like, I think we've all experienced that. Yeah, they right? exist, unfortunately. Unfortunately, there's the odd guy who yeah. said some pretty terrible things. But, I mean, I'm always still waiting for it. Like, yeah. How do you... How do you overcome this I know it's obviously a work in progress it's certainly been one hell of a journey for you but what does healing look like to you so I have unfortunately kind of given up on the mental health community mm. um I I for sh- like I've got some um I've got some different inpatient programs, residential programs, like earmarked for when I've got like an extra $150,000 lying around. Oh, that gosh. I'm gonna, <laughs> oh fine. I'm gonna, like check myself in for three months <laughs> and like work with the top. And like, I mean, it really is a goal of mine. Like I want to yeah. work with some really great doctors who know what they're talking about who can really help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and until that time, I've just kind of started doing a lot of work on my own like Good. I would say something that really heals me is just breaking the secrecy so like even on Twitter the other day like I know when we started DMing I was like oh my god I'm sorry like I just started going on but it was like I I, I was like oh my god someone's listening you yeah. know and I just like put it out there and, yeah and it it was healing so being more visible about it mm-hmm. talking about it really helps because it's just like a consistent breaking the secrecy Right. And then for me, one of the things that feels really healing is like supporting other people around us. Like right. I give away a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, I've always given away a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes <laughs> people are like, why don't you stop giving away so much money and do something <laughs> for yourself? But like, <laughs> but like it helps me to no end like I can't even tell you it's like every time I like make that donation or like pick up the phone for someone or like talk to someone about what they're going through and like obviously like it I'm I'm busy right so Mm -hmm. I've got like a couple of different businesses like including my escorting yeah but just even like that 10 minutes to like hold space for someone that's been incredibly healing and then to be honest with you and I I don't know like who knows, maybe some therapist will hear this and be like, no, don't do that. But like, for me, I started counting calories Mm. and I keep a food diary, I count calories and it helps me see like, okay, you have only eaten like 600 calories today, 600 Mm. calories yesterday. There's probably a reason why you're annoyed, irritable, tired and sad. Like you need to eat more food. Me talking to myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So keeping, keeping like a food, um, keeping like a food diary and calorie counting feels right now like it's helpful. And then allowing myself to like, you know, I, I've, I've, I've put a lot of boundaries around my work. Mm-hmm. I don't work as much as I used to. And I give myself a lot of time to just be, be which yeah. is something I've, yeah, which I've never That's done so important. Before. That's and really important. Yeah, and like when I just be, I can hear the I can hear what's going on underneath the disorder. Like I can hear the like grief over losing my father. I can hear mm. the like frustration with like being in Los Angeles, not being, you know, being pretty sure I don't want to be here anymore, but like mm. not being totally sure if I want to be in New York. Like I can hear all those voices and yeah. you know, feel like comparing myself to other women on Twitter, comparing myself to other women on Instagram, all of which I know is insanity because like, we all know these, these images are Photoshopped. Yeah, you know? exactly. Still, <laughs> yeah. You know, Sometimes like, you can't help it. Like, We're surrounded by like, it. Oh my God, we can't help it. But like <laughs> when I, when I just like listen to those voices and like hold myself and like allow myself to grieve, allow myself to like, 
I mean, there's a lot of grief there. Like, I suspect that one of the reasons I've never had a child is because I don't want to fuck up my body. And that's mm. horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It is, it is heartbreaking. And, like, I, I, I eventually want to have a child. I really do. And But it's, it could be hard for me. I don't know. You know, ho- hopefully I will be healed enough at that point. I, I don't. I want to stop generational trauma. I do not want my children to go through what my siblings and I went through and possibly what my, I I don't know, you know, how far back it goes, but like it it stops with me, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, just being, hearing, grieving has been huge. Um, And I'm going to say this and like, it's like, it's an ugly truth. But mm-hmm. I think, honestly, for me, I kind of have to stay thin because I, I like, it's like harm reduction. Like, in mental health, they talk about harm reduction. Yeah. Like, I actually, like, the binging and purging is really bad for me because it, I just, I just spiral. Like yeah. If I can keep myself kind of at a weight that's like, I don't look like a scarecrow, but like, you know, a, a weight that's like I can manage in my head, mm-hmm. then I can have kind of, I can have some healthy experiences. I can relax. I can like yeah. have a really decadent meal with a client. Like mm-hmm. it's like, there's this kind of range. Like if I go over it, I'm like, that's yeah. It's like it's yeah. Much. Like I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm fat. I can't like, uh, yeah. Like, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it certainly sounds like, I mean, we, we are all a work in progress. We're all working towards bettering ourselves. So I just really want to thank you so much for sharing your story because I don't know how many other people here have suffered with eating disorders or even simply like body dysmorphia as well. I know I certainly yeah. have, and I'm kind of going through that a little bit right now too, which is, I'm not going to bring any attention to me, but it happens to a lot of us and especially being in, in this industry um we're, we're really just like beauty is really held at a standard and like whose standard is it really but yeah i think it's really important to have this conversation and i'm just really glad that you were able to come on the show to speak about your experience because it's really really important and a conversation that i haven't had from this perspective so thank you so so much um I'm just going to throw out a couple uh, resources in the show notes um, if you are needing some help or if you're looking for some resources. Um, I'll name them out here. There's netic.ca, which is the National Eating Disorder Information Center. We have eatingdisorderhope.com and nationaleatingdisorders.org. So I'll be placing those links in the show notes below. But there is a question that came in from one of the audience members that I think we can quickly go into before I have to let you go. So... Um, If that's okay, we'll just kind of read this out really quickly. And um, yeah. Yeah. And and before that, I just want to say in terms of like what I shared, like I'm thank you so much for giving this space. It's, it is huge. It's a really important issue. And I also just want to say to anyone listening, take what you like and leave the rest. Like Mm. if there are parts of my story that work for you, please take those and and use them to help yourself mm-hmm. in your own journey and if there's stuff that doesn't work for you like just leave the rest you yeah. know like make make use of my story in any way that can can support you in your journey thank you for that yeah because i'm not like this is your own personal experience and everyone's methods and everyone's like healing methods are going to be a little bit different so, um, yeah. but if you do need help, I would probably suggest seeking professional help as well. And there, there are a lot of therapists that listen to this podcast as well. So maybe someone might be reaching out to you. Blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like, never know. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one question here we had it um, coming from Instagram from Failures on Option Pole Edition. He has asked you, "How is your relationship with food now?" in terms of like how do you feel after eating do you have a love-hate relationship with food and uh just to give you some context here so this is coming from uh obviously the male perspective it's a person who has a dad bod who has trouble himself looking at his own body and he feels shame for 
even like wearing certain clothes because like he doesn't feel too good in them. He feels gross. He's not happy with how he looks yeah. himself. So he just wants to kind of get an update from you on, on what your relationship with food is now. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting also because I like men and body image. I don't think anybody talks about no that. No one talks about that ever. So ever. Yeah, thank and you for submitting. And it's there. Yes, yeah, absolutely. for sure. I've had clients talk to me about it. It's it's real and it's there. Mm-hmm. Or, like it impacts everybody. Um I would say that my relationship with food is not uh, was pro- I probably according to outside standards, it's still unhealthy. Um, for me, I am at more of a place of ease with it. Um, like to me, like sexuality, money, and food <laughs> are all the same energy. It's the energy of like sustenance, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the energy of like, yum, like, oh, like this, I feel so nourished by right. this, like, food, by this sexuality, by this, like, it's it's just, like, there's this beautiful feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel that all the time. I mm-hmm. want to feel it. I, I definitely want to just be in bed with a client and just, like, eat amazing food and let myself go. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just a dream. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's totally a goal. It. It's a goal. Totally. I'm towards it. Um, I eat 1200 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better than 700. It's better than 600. Yeah. It's not 2000, you know? Right. Um, it's a happy, it's a happy medium for where I'm at. I try to make sure that I eat that and maybe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and it's like, it's okay right now. You know, yeah. it's okay right now. It's, it's healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I am in a good place with what I call like my inner anorexic. Like mm-hmm. I would say it's not so much like a love hate relationship. Like, and, and also let me be kind of clear. Like it, this, you know, it, this almost like it isn't about my relationship with food. This is mm-hmm. about my relationship with my inner anorexic and control. Yeah. This is about control, right? Like, like there's also an anorexic mindset. Like I can be socially anorexic. I can be anorexic with money and refuse to spend it. Like there's, there's like, it's, so how's my relationship with that? Like, you know, it's, it's healing. I, yeah. I, I talk to my inner anorexic more. I'm getting to know her. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a relationship with her. I want to know what's going on with her. Like, yeah. why does she feel this way? And so that's probably the best that I've ever been because at least I'm living in honesty. I'm not living in secrecy. Most women, it seems like to me, who have anorexia never fully recover, oh. but I'm okay with recovering. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm okay with like the ing, the being yeah. part of the process. I'm, I'm okay with most days it doesn't feel like a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of planning around calories, um, I don't know. I mean, it helps me. I, I don't keep any food in the house. I don't love that. Um, but like, instead of not keeping any food in the house and then not eating, like I wake up every morning, I go get my coffee. I buy what I need for the day. I try to get really healthy, nutritious stuff. I count my calories and I try to keep it moving. Yeah. And that's, that's where I'm at. That's where you're at. And that's totally fine. I'm really, really glad that you're able to speak to that and, and just be so raw and be so vulnerable and so transparent with us. Like, Thank you. That's amazingly brave of you and so courageous. And mm. I, I really hope we keep in touch and, you know, like to keep us posted on how you're feeling and just know that you have a great support system in this community. Thank you so much. You're I really so welcome. appreciate that. No problem. It's like, I'm just glad that we were able to connect so recently and like to get you onto the show. But before I let you go, where can we find you? 
society girl um untamed underscore bell my only fans is all one word bell beckwith mm-hmm. and my instagram is bell underscore beckwith yeah Perfect. i think i got all that yeah, yeah. You got everything, and that, those links are all going to be available in the show notes. If you haven't already clicked already, it's going to be there. Be sure to give uh, Belle a like and a follow. Subscribe to your OnlyFans. Reach out to her if this story touched her, touched you in any way, or if provided you with any like help. Please reach out to her. I'm sure she'd be happy to to chat with you on this. Well, I'd so, love it. Yeah. yeah. But this has been an incredible hour, Belle. Thank you so, so much for, again for sharing your experience and sharing your story with us today. It was just so, so raw and and really um, eye-opening because I am not familiar with many eating disorders and this really just humanized that whole side and really, really educated me and taught me a lot today. So thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. And everyone else listening, it's new episodes every single Sunday. So it's Strip by Sia on any major podcast platform. Make sure you like, rate, share, review. Um, maybe rate me five stars. You know, be nice to me <laughs> in that way. <laughs> and I'm also on Twitter. It's Strip by Sia. Strip by Sia on Instagram. Or get at my personal, which is Sia Stuff. And we'll catch everyone in for a new episode next Sunday. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellantarama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.